Our heads in a mess now. I need to calm down. Robert said, Hey, maybe my friend and I'll look you up when we travel to Palm Beach. We'll be going down in the winter when the chief takes his vacation. What do you think? You must know some cool spots to hang out at. I just turned 21 and have only been out to one club, and that was with my brother Jim. He took me to a strip club on my birthday to celebrate. I didn't like it. Jimmy and I could take you guys fishing if you want. We have a friend that owns a 58-foot Hatteras yacht. There'd be no way I could get them on the Hatteras. That belonged to a banker in town, Mike's dad. Jimmy and I would fantasize about the yacht being ours when we used to fish at Homestead Bayfront Marina. I don't think anyone ever fished off that yacht. Robert said, Oh, that would be awesome. Here, write your number down, and I'll call you when we head down. That was a little creepy. What in the hell was I doing? He'd probably never call. So I wrote the number and thought about Elsa answering and quizzing him about what he wants. She had some kind of radar. She'd probably say, And who are you? And how do you know my son? I heard Warren and Vera talking on the other side of the kitchen door. They were arguing about where we would go for dinner. She won, which of course I liked. Robert said, You and Warren are going to the White House today. Must be exciting for you. He smiled and then turned to buff the handles of the caddy. Then he lifted his jacket to show me he was carrying. Warren told you I'm with the Supreme Court police, didn't he? It was exciting to think about a car chase and him having to shoot our way to safety. I could be on the news. Warren came out with the Washington Post tucked under his arm. Vera kissed him goodbye and said, Take good care of Joe. And you two have a great time with Dick. Robert opened the door and Warren climbed in. I followed. The only other time I had been in a limo was when Flora died. She wouldn't have wanted all the fuss, but it was included in the price for the funeral. It was a style that I could get accustomed to, driving around in a big shiny Cadillac and having my own driver. As we pulled down the driveway, there would be no more conversation with Robert. Warren looked up from the post headlines and said, Have you seen the paper today? Warren wasn't even looking for an answer. He was going to read it to me. We have a case regarding the police and search warrants. Police arrested this fellow and then searched the house. They should have had a search warrant. They did not, so all the evidence collected is inadmissible. As we turned onto the main roadway, several people clicked their cameras to take a quick pic of what they thought was an important person. I would be in a pic they would put in their family album. Years down the road, relatives would look at that album and say, well, who is that? I told Warren the only thing I saw in the paper was regarding John Lennon and his wife involved in an accident. I also told him every morning 
I would scan the Miami Herald for more details of the Sharon Tate murder. Else and I would talk about how gruesome it was. I told Warren that throwing the evidence out doesn't seem right. If the cops had a good reason to arrest him, then they should have been able to search the house. I mean, what's the guy got to hide? Warren smiled, looked out the window as we approached the guard gate of the White House. That's when he said, that's why you need to go to law school. Trust me, you do not want to be an accountant. And while I'm at it, keep your distance from Robert. He's a fruit, if you know what I mean. I froze for a moment. My heart raced as though I was guilty of something. I had never had any kind of sexual relationship with a guy. I did have a crush on Jimmy, but nothing ever came of it. Warren told me, Nixon is counting on me reversing some of the Warren court decisions. It isn't going to happen. I had no clue what the Warren court decisions were. When I would return home, I would go to the Miami Public Library and do some research. Then he said another thing about Nixon is he might go into a rant about the Vietnam War and how we need to meet our commitment. Do not respond. He also might use a few swear words. Don't act surprised. I was getting nervous about what I should and should not say. I would absolutely follow Warren's lead. Then I said, I'm used to swear words. Remember, I have three older brothers, and every other word is a swear word, or worse. And did you know my brother Jerry is on his second tour of duty in Vietnam? Elsa said we need to get the hell out of there. Warren said, you might be shocked by some of his opinions. I think he has an uneven judgment, even maybe delusional. But he is the president. So just take it in and keep all this to yourself. Do not go around saying to your friends, Nixon said this and said that. Most of my friends would never believe I had a conversation with you or Dick. Don't worry about me spreading any rumors. Actually, probably what would happen when I got back home is I'd spew it out like a ruptured sewer line. One other thing. Do not call him Dick. Call him Mr. President. It is out of respect for the office. He folded the newspaper and placed it in his briefcase. I was curious why he didn't correct Vera about calling the president Dick. I said, yes, sir. My mind started thinking about Trish again. Would she be interested? What would I say? It was highly likely that I would freeze up and not know what to do or say. If we went out on a date, would I take her in my Rambler? Or would Warren have Robert drive us? Then Warren said, We do need to get out of Vietnam, but that is none of our concern. Why don't you talk about your dad and his agricultural pursuits in Miami? Tell him about your mom, Elsa, and how she had to raise four boys when he died. He would love you talking about her. Might even bring a tear to his eyes. He loves stories about hard times and the human spirit. 
tell them that I am going to get you in Georgetown University so you can get your law degree and come clerk for me. Well, I thought I could be a page in the Supreme Court for Berger. How in the world would I be able to afford tuition and living expenses? Then he said, another thing, there might be newspaper reporters around the car. Don't answer any of their questions. I've already had a run-in with one of them that showed up on our front lawn when I was appointed. I chased him off with my shotgun. It made the front page with the reporter asking about what kind of chief have we gotten stuck with. The guard opened the gate and Robert drove us to the front of the White House. Two guards stood at attention while Robert came around and opened the car door for us. He plunked his cap on top of his head and stood straight as a rod. Warren went first and then I bounced out like I was finally home. I followed and once inside a butler led us up the stairs. At the top was Dick. He shook Warren's hand and then said to me, Glad to see you again. You enjoying the city? We had met Sunday at the Sunday church services at the White House. Warren had driven us that day in his Buick Electra. That's when we sat down in front of a hundred or more people. Once we were seated, the band began to play Hail to the Chief. And here out of a side door comes Dick, Pat, Julian, David, and Trish. They sat directly in front of us. Dick was immediately in front of me, in a fold-up chair. I stared at the back of his head during the entire service. His hair was wet and oily. I don't think he knew anything about Dippity-Doo. I said to Dick, Yes, sir, very much, enjoying the city. Uncle Warren showed me around the court. Later today, I'm going to the Smithsonian. Dick nodded his head and looked directly at me. Then I said, Saturday, Warren and I cleaned the gutters of his house, and then I hooked up the antenna for their television. I even thought how dumb to go into all the detail. Dick could care less, but I could not stop myself. I wanted him to see Warren and I as best buds. I felt sweat at my lower back heading down towards my ass. Then I said, I perched myself on top of the roof and reconnected the cable to the antenna. I had to turn the antenna slowly so Vera could shout to Warren when the reception was better. Vera wanted to watch the Jackie Gleason show after dinner. Dick moved his hand for us to move on. We then walked down a hallway and entered a living room of sorts. Apparently all the bedrooms were on either side of the hallway, and I wondered where Trish was. There had been an enormous wedding six months ago in the White House for Julie and David. Trish was still available. Dick then said, Let us all sit in here before we have coffee. Pat and the kids will be joining us soon. That really made me nervous. They'd find out what a dope I was. Warren and Dick talked about the Apollo 11 launch coming up Wednesday. Would it go or not? Would they reach the moon? 
And would they walk on it? Man had never walked on the moon. Then Dick said, That Neil Armstrong has some balls to get in that thing and blast off to space. I then chimed in and said, Well, Armstrong was a test pilot for the NACA high-speed flight station and logged over 900 flights. I only knew this because Dennis, Jimmy's brother, the one that called us homos, was obsessed with the space program. Dennis told us about each launch and what it meant for our country. Dennis had said, We are going to bury the Russians and have the first man on the moon. Dennis was two years older than us and played football. Dick said, Well, I am glad somebody's keeping up on the news. The butler then arrived and announced he would have coffee and cakes. He also told Dick that the rest of the family would not be joining us. Dick said, Oh, I'm sorry you won't be able to visit with the rest of the family. Maybe next time. My sweat was gone now. I'd be back for another visit by the sounds of it. I did not realize it, but the visit had nothing to do with me, but everything to do with Warren. I wondered who adjusted the antenna for the White House. Did Dick stand outside while Trish turned the antenna and Pat told them when the reception was better? Did they watch Jackie Gleason? The partaking of coffee and cakes lasted about 20 minutes. I'd never eaten so slowly. I watched Warren and followed what he picked up and what he did with it. I wasn't even hungry. I scanned the room and thought about all the past presidents and their families that had sat in this very room and possibly airing of family disagreements. This smelled like scented candles had been burning. Dick said, We don't usually eat in here. Many times Pat and I will have a tray brought to us. Keeps it simple. He stood up and then patted me on the shoulder. Well, Joe, I've got to get going. The country's calling me. This was the cleanest house I'd ever been in. Black servants stood at attention and available for any need you might have. Warren and I followed him out into the main hall. Pat was heading down the stairs in what looked like a business suit. She was the first lady. Not like Jackie. Dick then said, David will show you out. Good seeing you, Warren. Good seeing you too, Joe. Enjoy your tour of the city. And that was it. He escaped down the hall and we headed down the stairs. Warren acted like he had done this before. Robert was waiting for us with the car door open. The caddy was still dripping water on the pavement from the air conditioning. Warren said, Robert will drop you off at the Smithsonian and then I'll go on to the court. Here's a beeper to use when you're ready to be picked up. Just let Robert know where you will be. The guards nodded to us as we passed through the gates. Two police were on the street and stopped the traffic as we pulled out onto Pennsylvania Avenue. I had never felt so important. I loved it. Warren then said, Now remember what I said about Robert. I could see Robert looking back at us in the rearview mirror. 
Warren did not seem a bit concerned about what Robert thought. About that time, the car came to a halt. Robert got out and opened the door. Warren said, Enjoy yourself. I want to hear all about it when you get back. A small crowd stopped in their tracks, looking at the limo and then at me, trying to figure out if I was anybody. Robert then said, Just beat me when you are ready, and I'll pop over. But don't wait past four because we need to head back to Falls Church. A few people took pictures of him, me, and the limo. A girl about my age asked me if I was related to the Kennedys. I contemplated affirming that I was. How would she know? There would be more pics and family albums for people to question. Who is that? So much for my trip to D.C. The drive back to Boca was the last for a few weeks. I had finals to prepare for and then head back to Miami. When I arrived at the dorm, my roommate, Tim, wanted to know about my weekend. Tim was feeling no pain, stoned, and clothes scattered around our study area. His door was open, with Janis Joplin singing her heart out. He was wearing undershorts only. Tim then said, Calderwood, you are looking fine. Something's going on with you, man. I need to ask you something. With that, he headed back to his room. I unloaded my stuff into the bedroom. I was digging out my books when Tim came into my bedroom. Then he said, You ever done acid? I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Navigating Muddy Waters. This is a true story of my college years. If you like my show, please tell your friends. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Wondery, or wherever you are listening now. Everything in my show is based on actual events. I'm your host, Joe Calderwood. I'm also the writer, recorder, producer, and editor. Music is by Freddie Elmberg. I also have another podcast by the name of Stained Fortune, and you can find that wherever you listen to your podcast. I wanna hear
love you forever You don't have to prove anything We've battled the weather You're more than what you see And I assure you You to all. 